This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 159, about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 2, Straighten It Out. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 159 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are looking at Luke Cage, season two, episode two, straighten it out. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out this crew, I am one and only Chris Jones. Yes, it is the podcast family talking about the Luke Cage family, I think, for this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a really, really interesting episode it is full of a lot of interaction between the different players in a personal way i think yeah yeah um, you know really really good and of course i think uh, in terms of that podcasting family um we would like to say to all our new listeners who maybe have come on board recently or even our uh, established listeners who maybe haven't gone over yet you can try out stitcher premium for one month for free uh, just use our promo code defenders and why should you do that that is because uh, we have the access there to the wolverine a long night podcast which is um, a Marvel scripted podcast mm-hmm. and it stars Richard Armitage as Wolvie. So a really good kind of detective investigative based podcast here. Uh, it got some really good reviews and we can certainly see why. So if you're interested, if you want to listen to a few more podcasts along with ourselves during this Marvel time of the year, then please head on over to Stitcher Premium and add in the promo code DEFENDERS where you can get Stitcher Premium for 30 days. And of course, that runs until September of this year as well. So please grab it whilst you can. Yeah, highly, highly recommend the uh, the Wolverine podcast. Really, really good. The first scripted Marvel podcast. The more you listen to it, the more chance we're going to get another podcast coming from Marvel as well, another scripted podcast. Uh, they have an after show for it over there as well on Stitcher Premium. So loads of content there for your 30 days free. Uh, definitely go check it out. And it does, of course, help support the podcast as well, which is uh, which is great for us. It is, of course, sharing the love and sharing the podcast. And of course, to do that, you can as well to listen to more Defenders TV podcast, whether it's Jessica Jones, Daredevil, The Punisher, or any of your favorite MCU movie. Uh, please head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and go to the subscribe section where you can subscribe to any good or evil podcast catcher of choice whether that be apple podcasts google play or of course stitcher premium or normal stitcher because then you don't have to pay yes our episodes are always free over at stitcher yes but of course we would be nothing without you our fellow defenders our lovely audience so why not go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can join us on our group over on Facebook.com, forward slash groups, forward slash Defenders TV Podcast, where we can discuss every spoiler filled episode. But beyond that, tell us what you love about the MCU. Tell us what you love about Luke Cage, what you love about Jessica Jones, or of course, Spider Man. Because 
Uh, he's the greatest. He's amazing. He's spectacular. I'm going to continue on until one of my other podcast hosts decide to stop me. Or and, edit, and, or edit uh, you out. <laughs> or edit me out. <laughs> yes, we want to hear what you have to say. What will be the best podcast that you want from Stitcher Premium after Wolverine? Would it be a certain Moon Knight? Would it be a certain Iron Fist? Who knows? You tell me. Head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and you can find out everywhere you want to follow us. But obviously, our fellow Defenders, if you want to share your thoughts about any of the episodes of Luke Cage, we haven't got any feedback yet because obviously we are recording these before the episodes come out on Netflix. Uh, if you want to send in your thoughts, email them to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just with a note of the episodes you're talking about, we know our listeners watch these episodes at a different rate than we do so just mark on it what episode you're talking about uh, and tell us what your thoughts on those episodes are and we'll share them on the podcast you can also record your thoughts about each of the episodes by going to the website at defenderstvpodcast.com and leaving us a voicemail with 90 seconds of your thoughts which we'll put on the podcast yes because if you do not and you end up spoiling me who's managed to remain spoiler free <laughs> from all the trailers up until we started watching Ethan Jamel episode I'm sending the Punisher after you <laughs> I really am. I'm getting John Bernthal to literally come to your door. I know that might sound nice. Don't give that as an offer, Chris. <laughs> well, I think speaking of spoilers, I think it is high time we get into our spoiler-filled review. If you are new to the podcast, uh, we look at our top five points of each episode. But before we do that, Derek, what are some of the episode details? Yeah, this episode was written by Akila Cooper, who wrote the awesome Manifest, which was episode seven of season one of Luke Cage. I think everybody can agree that was one of the best episodes of Luke Cage, um, the first season. It was really, really cool. Great to see Akila Cooper back for this season. Uh, the episode was directed by Steph Green. She's directed episodes of Preacher, The Americans, and Scandal, lots of really high-quality dramas in the U.S. But really interestingly, Steph is based in L.A., but has worked extensively in Ireland, where we're from originally. Uh, and she was nominated for Best Short Film for her work with Irish author Roddy Doyle on the short New Boy for an Oscar. So she's an Oscar-nominated filmmaker. Yeah. So really cool to have her on board for uh, for the show. Yeah, really good. I mean, you can definitely see in this episode uh, this idea of family and all those different threads that either pull or separate those members together or apart, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this episode and really looking forward to getting into it now on the podcast. And before we get into our top five bullet points, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Luke Cage is still standing after his encounter with the Judas Bullet, but whilst he tests the boundaries of his enhanced strength, his would-be assassin, Altura El Rey III, is released from police custody after Misty undermines the case being built by her colleagues. As Misty tries to fit back in at the precinct, she finds the going tougher than she thought, as not everyone at the NYPD is pleased to see her back. Meanwhile, both Bushmaster and Mariah Dillard seek to reconnect to distant family to push their own agenda in Harlem. Bushmaster seeks out his brother to restore his powers, whilst Mariah tries to bring her daughter into her political career, as she continues to distance herself from her criminal past. But a bullet to the head of El Rey by Shades only makes that more difficult. Elsewhere, Luke has family issues of his own. As his dad, James Lucas, tries to seek reconciliation, he is helped by Claire Temple, who tries to persuade Luke to forgive his father. But as Luke refuses to listen to James or Claire, he strains his relationship with Claire to breaking point. As Luke lashes out on the street, 
He risks his reputation as the hero of Harlem as he vents his frustration on Cockroach. Luke, father, it's getting very Star Wars vibe here uh, in my synopsis. It is. Um, yeah. But he does know who his father is, at least. He's always known who his father is. And is Luke turning to the dark side in this episode at mm-hmm. the end? Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? I did. I just really wished you'd been able to weave in some form of Chewbacca reference. Like, oh my God, that guy's so hairy. So I don't know. We, we we could talk. We could talk about Bushmaster being very hairy and very tall. You could, right, there gentlemen? Let's get into our top five bullet points for the episode. John, where are we kicking off? Yeah, we are kicking off with bullet point one: Luke in training. Yes, this is a little bit of a montage. Mm-hmm. Dare I say it? Um, he, Chris, you you pointed this out last episode that you were looking forward to the montage. Yes, yeah. I I think it was a bit montagey. This with him, uh, you know, basically he survived this Judas bullet this attack from el rey uh, set up by shades and mariah dillard Mm -hmm. and you you get a nice little point uh, at at the start where you know claire and him are kind of going okay what's going on because last time it almost killed him uh claire has that great kind of idea that um you know he had to take another one of those special baths um and maybe that it has hardened up his skin even further made it more bulletproof uh, you know, he is literally titanium. Then cue montage as effectively Claire Temple goes, uh, we better test that out. See how far you can push mm-hmm. it. Now, I would have thought you would have put him in front of a tank or a howitzer or some kind of, you know, missile. Mm. See if he had survived. Uh, but no, he throws, <laughs> he throws car tires. He does very quick runs and. Does something else as well. But anyway, yeah, they take him down to the training pitch where, um, as well, then he's spotted by a Nike representative. That's right. That's right. I'm so glad you're not in charge of his training regime. Uh, (laughs) What happens if he fails one of those tests in front of a tank or a howitzer? (laughs) That's the end of Luke Cage. Luckily, there's someone in his life, like Claire Temple, who's going, well, okay, right, you might have survived the Judas bullet, but there might be something else out there that can hurt you. Maybe we should test out how strong you are, how fast you are, what your abilities are. Uh, really interestingly here, the person that is the coach for him at the Harlem Jets Stadium is Todd Bowles, who's the current head coach of the New York Jets, which is quite cool. I like the fact that when Luke walks into the stadium, he's talking to Bobby Fish, he's saying, well, when you said the Jets, I thought we were going to New Jersey, where the New York Jets are based, but actually it's the Harlem Jets. But they did at least bring in Todd Bowles, the head coach of, of the New York Jets, to give him a little bit of pointers and a little bit of training. Uh, it's a cool little montage, a bit of fun uh, seeing all the kids around. I love how it ends with this, that kind of slow motion shot as Claire Temple's watching him with his abilities and how strong he is and how powerful he is, all the kids cheering around him and her face is kind of dropping, realizing that she's starting to lose her Luke Cage to these superpowers and to all the fans that he's now gaining and to all this fame that he's now gaining. It's a lovely shot just to illustrate what's happening inside of Luke. And you mentioned, John, that he's becoming more titanium. That's definitely what's going on in Luke's mind. Claire explains it that this idea that she came up with of his skin is like Velcro. It just means the Velcro is strengthening even more. She still doesn't feel like he's unbreakable. She feels like the strength is now stronger on his skin. So she's very worried about about Luke taking the chances that he's taking. Yeah, I called it. Woohoo! Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, prediction number one, Chris. In the bag. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. This this is what I wanted to see in that they set out the new rules. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, the Judas bullets are no longer a problem. 
do you know what? We're going to show you how strong he is, how far he can leap, how quick he can run. So, and they, they use it because in later parts of the episode, he runs to an apartment mm-hmm. and he gets there super quick. Like, yeah. so they're saying he's faster than Usain Bolt at a sprint mm-hmm. and he's faster. He gets there lickety split. We find out that his skin is harder. Now, we also find that with hard skin, he's still soft inside. Mm-hmm. If if you hit something hard enough, it can still break, just maybe break on the inside. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's very much to Claire's point. And, and I think it was really important in this episode. And we'll talk about a little bit of this stuff later on. But as you said, Chris, and as we said last episode, the Judas Bullet is now off the table. But it looks like there is actually a weapon. Who cursed this? It was Claire Temple, wasn't it? She completely cursed this idea. The minute he comes home and says, Judas Bullets can't hurt me anymore, she goes, what if there's something more powerful out there? And of course, by the end of the episode, there is something more powerful. There is something that can break his bones underneath his skin, which is the gun that's used by um, a cockroach in his club. He, it looks like a six-barrel shotgun that he's using with Judas exactly. Bullets in it, doesn't it? No, so it looks like it's six shotguns tied together. It's the yeah. force. Right. right. Nothing breaks his bone. What it does is dislocate his shoulder, and he couldn't pop it back in right. because he couldn't get yeah. purchased, I think he says. So speaking of Star Wars, Cockroach uses the force on the cage, basically. Yeah, it's a six-barrel force, but he <laughs> certainly, uh, yeah, it, it's more the impact of all that shotgun uh, on his body, through the window, down onto the bonnet, mm-hmm. and definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I, I enjoyed this. That They basically, they're resetting the rules. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, you thought you knew this, now you know this. This is what actually it is. But while doing that, they did it in, like I like you said, where we see Claire lamenting. It's, it's kind of, it's very, like they purposely slowed everything down yeah. and showed yeah. her because I think what we get across this episode is her beyond her saying that she's losing Luke to, to Harlem to being the hero. I think she, what she's understanding uh, and we can talk about it more later is the two wolves that are Luke Cage. Yeah. And that understanding that there, there is a very much a split personality now on this hero of Harlem. Um, but that one is unbreakable. The other is very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing here as well is that you, you see that conversation with Bushmaster and the guy. I mean, I've called him his brother. That might not necessarily be the case, but in, in the, the sort of Jamaican canteen restaurant there on the corner. And, you know, his brother, we'll call him that for the time being, does say that he's bulletproof. Bushmaster's response is, I just won't use bullets. Yeah. You know, and again, it sort of links in with Claire Temple going, what if there's something more powerful out there? Mm-hmm. And maybe it is Bushmaster himself. Yeah. Um, given, you know, one of the trailers does show a very cool move from him. I'm going to say it anymore because you know, obviously Chris hasn't watched um, the trailers, but ultimately that feeds into this whole context really nicely, that conversation that Bushmaster has as well. And of course, it is a really nice light beginning as well um, with that whole training camp mm-hmm. uh, montage. Because ultimately, this kind of does go fairly dark in terms of these relationships between yeah. Luke and Claire with Shades and Mariah, just in terms of, you know, those 
issues that families have, even with James Lucas, his dad, the preacher. Um, again, it, it all stirs the pot. And I think the thing I really enjoy about uh, this episode is just Luke gets so, so frustrated, so bogged down in, I suppose, the feeling that people are telling him what to do, yeah, maybe, yeah. or he's he's losing it. He's getting frustrated about not being able to close down the drug rings, being able to capture people. Uh, and then, as Chris says, you know, you see this wolf element. But uh, certainly, you know, it, it starts on a, a lighter note compared to where this episode uh, finishes off. But it sounds like Luke is gonna get paid from that from that Nike sponsorship that's coming in. That's a, that sounds like a, a fun little thread that's going on throughout this. As you hear Bobby Fish on the phone to the Nike rep, and uh, Claire walks in, and he just kind of goes, "You can't believe what I'm getting out of these guys. They really want to sponsor Luke." It sounds like he's gonna get a big payday win by the end of the season, as long as he doesn't mess up his brand too much. Which we know exactly will happen. Yes, they, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like they called Quite it fine. out. Yeah, and actually, I just want to echo what you said, which is I, I want to give a nod to uh, Akela for the, the writing of this, where it starts off very light, this episode, mm-hmm. and then slowly they introduce more and more and more darkness, but you still get these small hints of that this is still a light, not a light show, it, this still has its heart, Yeah, oh, this yeah. episode, because literally... You get a bookended scene where Luke is talking to the son looking for cockroach, and we're getting finding out about abuse and all that type of thing. And then straight away, we get this fantastic scene of a coffee loving grandma. I love that actress. Yeah. I absolutely love it. One of the things that we do over on Gotham TV podcast as part of our podcast about the show, because we've been doing it four years now, uh, we pick out a character who's a background character that you may not see again as our character of the week. If we did that on Defenders TV podcast, this lady would be absolutely my character of the week. I love that she asks Luke for his phone number just in case she sees uh, Cockroach coming back and then goes, hey, maybe I'll call you sometime. Uh, you know, you're a, you're a good looking guy. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's it. It really does warm the heart mm-hmm. until it crushes it. Uh, exactly. On, which yeah. is exactly. always the best way. Anyway, I think with that, on to bullet point number two. Mm-hmm. Chris, what do we have for number two? We have the one-armed sergeant back at work, pushing her way through being the Misty we know mm-hmm. and love, I should say. Um, this was this was good. We really get a character growth point again, quite early, for mm-hmm. Misty. We see her stand up to her fellow police officers, and mm-hmm. we see her kind of do it unabashedly, and I thought that scene was fantastic. She stands up, she takes off her jacket and it's like yes i'm one-armed i'm still here riding yeah blah 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 like oh my god if so, if i had lost an arm and i'm trying to write learn to write with my left hand and one of my colleagues walks by me going need a hand <laughs> i know i had a gun on my belt i would have shot him <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you there's moments early on in this episode where i was going they are really pushing this hard the constant um do you need a hand uh, comments are you the short arm of the law those constant comments that were going on i was going they just gone a bit far on this yeah but then when it becomes misty standing up to everybody you're going brilliantly put really well done because yeah. genuinely 
if you've just lost an arm, I am sure there are people out there going, oh, I'm making this joke for the first time ever. Am I the, uh, the most hilarious person? And it is probably the 40th or 50th time in a day that you've heard it. They only said it about five or six times before that moment where Misty stands up. But I thought it was really well written to just encapsulate going through this experience really well. I just just thought it was really well done. Yeah, I'm really glad they did that because I think like you, I was like, going, okay, is it just going to be the one-arm jokes? Because we had that with Cockroach as well mm-hmm. in the first episode. And I think that stand by her, again, just fantastic how, um, you know, she is not willing to be kind of bowed by what happened to her in The Defenders. And she's trying to, you know, come back and integrate herself back into the precinct. Mm -hmm. It's taken a little while. You know, she's obviously not kind of on the front line. I think that's what's making it tough for her, you know. Um, she would have been the one doing those kind of interviews. She's not being asked to do it. It's, it's her, um, kind of rival from college, Nandy. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the shade that Misty puts on her when, uh, Nandy's taken her old desk and is like saying, Oh, well, there's a, a spur desk over there in the corner or whatever. And she mm-hmm. goes, No, it's fine. I'll just ha- take my desk back. Exactly. Thanks, Nandy. You take the, <laughs> you take the, uh, the, the spur desk. I mean, I was like, then, okay, that's really shady from Misty. But then you realize there's this rivalry between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And Misty is trying to move her way back into the precinct. Yeah. And yeah. You know, Bailey has been promoted. He's now got Nandy as his um, sort of second in command. They're going out to the murder scenes. They're doing the interrogation. Mm. Misty is probably just feeling a little bit left out here uh, after, you know, being so kind of... Uh, renowned and having that reputation in the nypd mm-hmm. uh, within this precinct i do love the fact that we get to see her special ability here again where you know she comes onto the crime scene um at el ray's furniture discount king store and um you, you know you see her playing back the events that took place there um, as she pieces all the evidence together. Really, really enjoyed that. Can I say I think that's even better done than it was in the first season? Um, It it doesn't feel as much like uh, Hannibal. Uh, I think we commented that it was very like the Hannibal situation where it felt like she was really reading something beyond human senses in the first season. Uh, In this one, I know it actually does have uh, Theo Rossi in shade in the background so just to show the height and proportions of the person that she's thinking she sees but i think it really does show her investigative ability more so than it did in the last season last season it did feel a bit supernatural the way it was filmed this time really felt like you can see what how she's piecing it all together the bullet came from this height that means it came from behind um it came up this way so that means the person the culprit could be this height it means he was standing this far away it's all going on in her head and put really plainly on the screen i thought that was really well done this season i i'm gonna agree with you this is this, that was i think you're right we commented it was very hannibal it was beyond uh, i think we had a conversation is misty a super is this actually mm. her gift but we just we aren't being told and no you're right this season they just show it off as being no she's just She's a detective, and she's a world-class, the world's greatest detective, you might say, if we were to be in a different universe. Maybe. 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 <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I'm saying no comment to that one, Chris. Joking aside, this was, <laughs> you're right, this was well done. They didn't specifically call it out that she suddenly sees shades. Mm-hmm. She just sees a silhouetted man, or what she, the shape of a man, yeah. uh, with the right proportions and size, because she 
sees the gun going off and the body falling. Exactly. So I really like that. Taking it back to one thing that John said, which is the desk part. She actually yeah. didn't even take her desk back, which was interesting, though. She's, she's sitting on the other side where they pointed to. So I'm like, oh, so she hasn't fully stood up. And I think it could be because she gets a rollicking from her captain. Her yeah. captain says, you're not, our toe is brought in before he's let out of jail. He's brought in, he's brought in, sorry, by Luke. He's brought into the interrogation room. And we see Nandi and Bailey go in, come out after interviewing. We have a, an altercation between Nandi and Misty. Uh, and Bailey giving her some hard truth. Mm-hmm. And then we see a very misty thing, which is with a smile on her face, she unlocks the door from behind and slips in. Yeah. Then she's interrupted by Arturo's lawyer, a, a very famous face, if you've watched any of the previous Netflix series. Absolutely, Derek. yes. Yeah, great to see Ben Donovan back. Yes. Um, and then we also get the captain. And the captain gives her a fair, like, slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. Like he he's going to the point where you need to shape up or ship out. The kid gloves were initial. Now it's like, okay, if you're back, you're back, and you're playing by our rules. None of this old misty night mm. kind of. You aren't misty night anymore. Yeah, um, you're coming back, and you're you're supposed to be on light work here. That's yeah. that's it. You're supposed to be doing paperwork. You're supposed to be sitting back, dealing with the office space cases. You're now an office space detective. You can't go down and interview somebody, especially not somebody who's lowered up. Misty knows this. Misty knew this when she was talking to Bailey. She instantly said to him, I'm not going to do this. And Bailey goes, yeah, yeah, right. Of course, you're going to be paying, playing by the rules. Um, everybody knows she's going to go into that interview room. But but it is kind of, you know, three strikes and you're out. And the thing is, what with everything that went on in season one, plus in the Defenders, mm-hmm. you know, she's had a lot of dressing downs from superiors. And again, it, it talks to that thing of, of family in that, you know, she lived her work as a detective. She really wanted to do that. She's then suddenly kind of almost like, you know, sidelined or retired because of what goes on in the, in the defenders. And now she's like, no, but I want to come back here. And of course she comes back, but it's not the same because, Mm -hmm. you know, Scarf has been taken down and ultimately killed, shown to be corrupt. Yeah. You know, she's probably not got the trust of her superiors in the same way mm-hmm. that, that she did previously. And, you know, as you say, Chris, Bailey kind of gives her a few home truths, even though he absolutely respects her. He is just trying to say, look, you've got to be careful because not everyone is necessarily pleased that you've come back. And, it's not the same anymore. Well, exactly. Like that, That's kind of the thing they always say about the armed forces and the police force and, and uh, the ambulance service and fire service. They all really respect someone who's been injured in the line of duty. Everybody does. We all believe that they're heroes. But having someone sitting in the same room as you, on the same level as you, that has had, the, had a, a, basically a career-ending injury is a constant reminder of the danger that you're in. So this is what... Bailey is referring to when he says everybody feels uncomfortable when you're around Misty. It's because everybody there is looking at her going, but for the grace of God, go I, as, as the phrase goes. Um, if you're surrounded by Misty at all times, being the great cop that she used to be, and she's lost an arm, well, that could happen to you. And if you're not as good a cop as she is, it could be even worse. So um, I love how this stuff is just peppered in there. Speaking of peppered in there, Chris, did you notice our little Spider-Man Homecoming reference in there in this I did. I like this. This is one thing we talk about was like 
We're never going to get Coulson. We're never going to get Robert Downey Jr. We'd love mm-hmm. to have them in this, but we're never going to happen. Well, never say never, but it's highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. So the constant trickle of references to the incident, trickles to uh, world-shattering events that have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. So in this one, we get... It's called out. The Judas Bullet is a federal case because it's connected to tech from the incident. Mm. And, of course, that was pretty much a, a large proportion of the plot for Spider-Man Homecoming. Yep. Um, and this is goes beyond it, which is we know Shatari Weaponry is out there. It's a pass-away comment for 99.5% of the audience. <laughs> and it's because it, it was that quick. I love your calculations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but then for this 0.5 of us who went, oh, I know, oh, oh my God, there's a Spider-Man's reference, uh, mm-hmm. or at least an instant reference, a Shatari reference. It's nice. I like they're, they're keeping it a connected world without having to be totally connected. Yeah, I, I think I just felt that it was a homecoming reference specifically because of the fact that they're saying it's a federal case, and that's exactly what happened to Michael Keaton's character. His crew still had some weaponry, and they were told... If you keep it, you're going to prison from the federal government, effectively. So um, while this was written around the same time as Spider-Man Homecoming, it just feels like it was a little touch just layered in there that now they've made that decision. Because it wouldn't have been the decision when the Judas Bulls read last time that this was a federal case. That that has changed since season one. So just thought it was nice. Yeah, it's a nice little touch, definitely. Um, The other nice little touch, I think, just our last bit on this point is... um, you know, why Shades ultimately puts a bullet through Atoro's uh, forehead. Um, you get a great moment where he's speaking dirt about Mariah Dillard in Spanish. Shades obviously understands that very well. Mm-hmm. And out comes the gun and pops uh, Arturo in the forehead. Comanche there, very quick off the mark. So uh, impressive. Yeah, really good. And then Comanche obviously comes in with a fantastic one-liner in a sense. Uh, to to Shay's going, you know, Mariah must be amazing that you are going to these lengths to effectively, you know, we had a beaten up waiter in the last episode, and now it's a bullet through the head of someone who was very integral to Mariah's plan to get out of crime, to mm-hmm. raise money, uh, and to try and get um, her fortune of clean cash so um i really did like that but i thought the comeback from comanche to shades just after he's shot uh, otoro um just classic kind of sidekick absolutely yeah really really good i also want to give a huge shout out to the person who did the subtitles for this episode i uh, thought it was absolutely brilliant when you had arturo speaking in spanish and it just said speaks spanish <laughs> and, then, and then directly afterwards it said insults mariah in spanish <laughs> that didn't translate what he was actually saying because it may have gotten taken out of the episode i'm sure there's a lot of spanish-speaking people who saw that moment in the episode and laughing away about how harsh and how abusive he is about mariah and um, but it wasn't translated for us but i like the uh, i like the subtitle translation yeah definitely um on to bullet point number three and we learn more about Bushmaster's powers mm-hmm. here. Uh, really like this uh, on a number of fronts. One, uh, completely intrigued with regards to the guy that he goes to in that corner uh, restaurant. He seemingly is someone who has um, given him the secret to this recipe, which he needs now to um, repair his his body because I, I, as we see 
the bullets kind of impact into his body. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily pierce it, but I love that touch where the blood is starting to come through the white shirt in the cafe yeah. there on the corner as they're talking. And all of this to me was really um, just fantastic. I love the intrigue. I love them talking about mother's name above the door. I mean, that's why I called him his brother. He might not be at all. It could be just um, a, a a distant relative or just someone that the family knows, but that, you know, they make reference to mum's name being above the door uh, as the name of the, the, the cafe and the restaurant. It's part of the problem with subtitles, isn't it? Sometimes because they are translating from the Jamaican dialect as well. So he says, he says our mom, and I think he says my mom above the door. uh, And it gets slightly slightly translated i got the feeling it was a stepfather because he looks quite a, a lot older yeah. than him but then there's another line that's that's said in there where he's where um the person he's speaking to says she she died a long time ago and he said not for me and that made me kind of go is he older than he's supposed to be has he been in stasis of some sort has he been has he lived longer than he should live or something? Is he, is he referencing that? But that could just be the translation that's throwing me off as well. Yeah. Is it something to do with this nightshade that he requires Mm -hmm. to um, heal himself, to enhance his powers? You know, is it a bit dark magic and and mystical as well? Yeah. And it it could be because in the credits, his name is Anansi, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a, a God from Africa that is a God of culture, of worship, uh, within that African and African American tradition, yep. you know, in terms of um, those American gods that came over from the old, uh, the old countries. That's a different show, John. I know it is, but I mean, it's just such a that concept of it is 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 really nice here mm. um, within this this community. But unsurprisingly, a character called Anansi, being a god of spiders, is originally a Marvel character. Not originally, was a Marvel character from the 80s who was a Spider-Man villain as well. So a couple of other Spider-Man connections in this episode. So there is an Aturo Anansi uh, who is a, a Jamaican former god who does go up against Spider-Man in some uh, 80s comic books as well. So um, so it's possible that this is the Anansi from the comic books and, and would deal with the spirituality, would deal with the voodoo side of things, which seem to be coming in a little bit when you see him making up his potion, setting, setting it into smoke to to breathe in that's a very kind of it feels quite voodoo like it feels I, like that time. i presume that spider-man lost <laughs> he did not <laughs> but i i'm in agreement with you this is a mystical beast mm-hmm. um what i found most interesting was that um his brother quote-unquote Basically, he says it's like steroids. The more you take, the worse. The the more it takes to heal you, to make you stronger, to make you faster. Mm-hmm. Um. So, it, this is an it's an interesting it's an interesting piece. I didn't think they would go down a mystical route. Mm-hmm. I thought this was very much going to be another lab creation versus Luke Cage. Yes, um, yes. that's yeah, what me too. we like. Yeah, I think we all thought. Um. So it's interesting they go down the route of the brother voodoo, the the kind of oh, that'd be the awesome. gods. It's it's interesting because we know from a Doctor Strange perspective, magic is not magic. A, magic. Well, it, it has it's, a price. Yeah, it, but it, it's less not magic. Magic. It's more 
um, it's understanding rituals. It's a, so we this is the first time I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're seeing magical potions, like like literally, he takes a load of herbs, put, like that we know of. There's a I think it was a special root nightshade. It was and, nightshade, yeah. Yeah, burns it all together, and that smoke causes superhuman powers. Yeah, you see his wounds healing where the bullets had, had gone in. Now, they absolutely avoided it, so you're probably right, Chris, we haven't directly seen it, but I would kind I would say that we have seen it once before, back in Season 1 of Daredevil. We, ha- we did have a moment with Stick and Stone together in a very mystical place. We've seen kind of potion smoke. We saw back in Defenders, we saw uh, Stick use a potion to knock out Luke Cage, uh, which was the first time that he had anything else other than the Judas Bullet knock him out and, and commit him to being invulnerable. So they are incorporating it a little bit, yeah. slow, very slowly into Luke Cage because they're trying to make this a really grounded seri- series about a very strong guy living in Harlem and trying to avoid the superhero stuff. But uh, but I do like that they're bringing in something like this. It makes a lot of sense for these characters, especially Jamaican origin characters coming into into New York and having their the origin of their powers being coming from something like Voodoo where uh, it would make a lot of sense for those characters to to use their history and use past religions to have their powers there and have that belief and you know culture Mm -hmm. of tales uh, told passed down that that place importance on these kind of rituals as you say chris that can involve different roots and and different properties Uh, and and it's it's yeah it's different from uh, dr strange dr strange is absolutely more about harnessing the energy between realms and dimensions whereas mm. um this is obviously using physical stuff uh, that has sort of imbued mystical powers uh, almost like dr strange's cloak or something like that that the, these things are imbued with a certain sense of mysticism or, mm. or magic but ultimately i think that it, it would be a common thread that it has a price and that there is a price paid for using it. And in this case, it seems to be that that is on Bushmaster. Just as a side as well, I would faint if Brother Voodoo came into this. <laughs> yeah. I would like faint in pure joy. I, I'd love yeah. it. I, I do think it's but unlikely. It yes, absolutely. Unless Tandy Dillard is Brother Voodoo in, in the Netflix universe. Um, I do love that that's where he goes to get his his nightshade from is to Tandy Dillard, a brand new character in the show. Uh, Mariah Dillard's previously unmentioned daughter uh, coming back into the show has her own um, medicine shop, has her own place that where she practices alternative medicine despite having her, uh, her doctorate. Um, but I like that she's the one that explains what's going on to anybody that thinks, oh my God, are they bringing in magic and mysticism into the into the Netflix universe? Don't worry. Uh, it's just some forms of potions that you just rub together and uh, you can use them to uh, make things better. It's not as bad as you think it is. This is just yeah. simple Eastern medicine, right? Grant, everybody happy with that? Right. <laughs> Let's get on with it. <laughs> it, it. It's a good bit of exposition that she gets as her first lines in the show. So uh, you even hear her talking to an older woman about how she cured her, her headache with... Uh, with natural remedies as well. So again, just emphasizing the fact there are natural remedies in the world that can uh, enhance you and make things better. It's not necessarily magic. Witchcraft. <laughs> in <laughs> the Netflix universe. In real life, not so much. Maybe. Medicine is medicine. <laughs> yes. But anywho, um, I, I just want to highlight one bit, and I, I, I 
it, as a follow-on from my comments about the Jamaican accents in episode one. Mm-hmm. Wow. During some, I, I didn't have the subtitles on because I'm like, no, like, I, I want, I, I want to try and force myself to understand. There's a couple of ones in there that I was like, what do you say? Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, my girl, when he leaves, uh, Tandy's shop. Yes. I'm hearing my girl because he doesn't say thanks, my girl. He goes, mm-hmm. my girl and leaves. And I'm like, my girl? Nope. Just, nope, I, I'm just putting a question mark there because not 100%. It's interesting because it's, it is, he's speaking in English. He's speaking as a Jamaican probably who's grown up in Hell's Kitchen in Harlem, in that area, in that community would probably speak. So it's a completely new thing for me. I'm pretty sure if they put someone from Edinburgh or Liverpool or Manchester with a real strong accent on the show, the Americans would go, say what now? So it was just, I, I just wanted so. to follow up. I wonder if because there was two Jamaicans speaking to each other, yes. they spoke fast and that's, they're just saying, yeah, well, when, when he's with one of his own, he's good. He like, they're, they're going to talk faster. They're going to use slang. But when he's talking to other Americans, he's, or non Jamaican Americans, he's going to slow it down. And he doesn't. No, no, and you're, he doesn't. Right. you're right. Uh, that that line that you're talking about was "me go," which means I'm leaving. Uh, that was oh, exactly me go. What said. Yeah, ah. very, very simply. And just to clarify, and add f- a follow up, uh, we recorded our episode about uh, episode one on the 19th of June. Uh, the full cast, or the four members of the cast, were at Build New York uh, this evening, the uh, the 20th of June, uh, talking about the show. Uh, Mustafa Shakir, who plays Bushmaster is American. Yes, that is a put-on accent. He isn't speaking Jamaica. He isn't from Jamaica. Uh, it is absolutely him acting. And very shockingly, Chris, because I know you haven't had the chance to watch this interview, but very surprisingly, you've picked out exactly what Alfre Woodard, who plays Mariah Dillard, uh, what she said about the character. She says, I couldn't get my ear in, in the Jamaican accent at all. But it's just like when you go over to England and you hear a Scottish accent or a Liverpool accent, you just have to get your ear in and after a while you're suddenly able to pick it up right. So she's saying exactly the same thing, that the reason these shows work in America and the reason they they work in the UK is because it's just like them watching something like Downton Abbey, <laughs> where they're look, listening to accents where they're going, I have no idea what this person's saying. But after a while, the story will get you across it and you'll be able to yeah. understand it really well. Um, but yeah, just wanted to also make that point exactly the same, similar point. Um, Thank you. Because you you know what they say, great minds or great actresses who play great villains also have great minds, think like podcast hosts. Just saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm actually a super villain. I'm just putting it out there. Just kind of, yeah. But speaking of connections onto bullet point four, mm-hmm. because we've spoken of Tandy Dillard, and now let's move on to a mother and child reunion uh, as Mariah Dillard and Tandy Dillard are to meet. Yeah. Uh, I love the fact that Mariah Dillard is in her daughter's shop, her kind of estranged daughter's shop, um, literally maybe half a day before Bushmaster comes walking into the same place to get his uh, ingredients for his, his sort of energizing um, smoke drink. Yes. Or smoke or snuff <laughs> to, to really help him uh, get him back on, on par. Mm-hmm. But again, Mariah Dillard is using this 
for her own ends. Uh, but I love how she is so honest about it to her daughter, where she goes, I can't t- turn back time. What you see in front of you is me being me. Um, and, you know, she's playing it up a little bit as well. Yeah. She's she's obviously read into um, what her daughter is doing, the type of medicine that she's doing. But ultimately, uh, you know, this along with her kind of new campaign manager, I suppose, is saying what we need to kind of uh, reinvigorate you in, in the political scene and to sort of re- reinvigorate, re-energize uh, and ch- kind of pull you away from what happened with your brother and what happened after that is to to take this innocent in a sense your your um daughter from your your husband mm-hmm. you know and i really kind of drag like, her through the muck with you yes. yeah, basically <laughs> i really like that and i mean you know she does turn up at uh, harlem's paradise at the end mm-hmm. where she seems to be willingly uh going over to her to say you know i will come and try and make a go of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know whether she knows fully what she's letting herself in for, but I, I really like this kind of awkward mother and child reunion uh, where it's kind of really not hidden at all that, you know, there is a deep distrust from uh, from Tandy towards her mum. And, and it kind of just mirrors so nicely what you think Mariah and her mother have as well in that, you know, there was absolute, well, there's hate there. Whether there's hate here, I don't know, but certainly, um, you know, there's enough dislike where Tandy has been quite happy to branch off on her own without seeing her mum for quite a long time. So I really, I really like all these layers of really sort of broken family here that, mm-hmm. that, that's going on. I absolutely, no, this is me just, throwing it into ether. I love if Mariah gets taken down at the end of this season and Tandy over the course of the season becomes corrupted and takes over. Or you find <laughs> out that Tandy's like shop is actually a front for heroin or something crazy. I'd love to see that it, it runs in the fact like the, can you imagine the two the two mother and daughter come together and go, You're evil? You're evil? Oh my god, we're evil family together. Mm. It it's never going to happen because they painted no. this character as super above the line. She is like the innocent. She is she yeah. escaped Mariah so that she can be this person. She the picture we see of her, the first picture we see of her is with a refugee child, mm-hmm. and then we see that she does homeopathy and like they add nightshade to water and you get superpowers type thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I I'm agreeing with you, John. I like I loved this bit i'm interested to see based on the final scene where we see tandy and mariah together in the club and a certain shaded literally shaded shades is uh kind of like we see comanche turn around to him and go did you just get thrown out did you Mm -hmm. just get superseded by someone i like oh my god that look in shade's eye Really interesting. Yeah, really. It doesn't bode well for Mariah, definitely here. Um, and, and I love the fact that, you know, Tandy comes in at that point where Mariah and Shades have had that huge argument because, okay, and as well, Mariah, little does she know at this point that, okay, she knows that a Toro has just been killed, you know, with the bullet to the head by mm-hmm. Shades. 
but she has no idea that poor old Nigel is dead somewhere as well, killed at the hands of this unknown Bushmaster for her. Yeah. And as well that ultimately Cockroach is soon to be at least out of action for a while, if not forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three people that she's gone to uh, for this investment to make her clean break are suddenly all being taken off the table, but she only knows about one of them. So I like the, the fact that we're in on that and she she isn't. So quick question from my side. Does Tandy turn up at Harlem's Paradise after she's been in contact with Bushmaster. Yep. Yep. So I'm just wondering, does some of this nightshade or some other different types of of roots or, or spices or herbs or whatever, you know, is he using her maybe is he getting to her or something the only reason i say that is because there is a comment made by by mariah where she says that the yardies have approached us about the investment as well but it wasn't nigel so is bushmaster approaching she just but she just doesn't know who it is at the moment what i mean okay. is i do actually think even though we've not seen it that bushmaster is moving against it already uh, possibly, possibly, but I think it's it is hugely important. I think we we've, we've kind of glossed over the major point that Tandy is Tandy Dillard, and the scene directly before that is Bushmaster saying, "I'm going to burn down everything about um, Mariah Stokes, her entire business, her entire family, and the next person he meets is Tandy Dillard." So she's not going to last very long, or at least is going to be the sacrifice to. Uh, to take out Mariah or she's going to be kidnapped to take out Mariah. I don't know whether she's going to be working with Bushmaster. She does seem much more of the innocent. Uh, I don't know whether he has any kind of mind control powers or anything like that, but I think he could be right. Separately, I think he may have been the one approaching Mariah through the Ardies, but I'm not sure whether Tandy's involved in that plan or whether she's to be involved at a later stage down the series. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more, did he go to Tandy's place by pure chance in the sense that um, he was sent there or deliberately because he knows already. I think it was sent there by his brother regarding that they have nightshade. One place has nightshade. It was that. In fact, Nancy says that, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm just really interested to see where this goes. We've straight away got the triangle of connection. We see the daughter... I, I think you're right. I think the daughter went because Mariah turned up. She said she wanted, and then the daughter got scared by this beast of a Jamaican coming in to a degree, kind of threatening her. Mm-hmm. And like she said, "Oh, okay, I need a bit of motherly love," which she laughs and scoffs at. But I'm just interested to see where the the relationship goes. I'd love to see how it progresses because this is going to be. To very much, this is the daughter will want her mother to be good. Like Mariah is trying to go clean, mm-hmm. so in theory, this is the the connection to her clean life. Probably a bad way of putting it, but to a crime free life, a Dillard life outside of the Stokes family, outside mm-hmm. of the the crime and Harlem's paradise and the guns and the drugs and. Shades is her connection to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And so you're, I think you will get this light side versus dark side pull. Vader 
pulling Luke, Yoda pulling Luke with Mariah in the middle. I know I'm saying Mariah is Luke, but that's a terrible analogy. But you, Especially because we've got Luke Cage, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, look, this is a really interesting one. Well, I think what's probably kind of a, a bit more difficult than the light side versus dark side, there's also light side versus dark side. If Mariah has $20 million in the bank, then she can go for the light side. If she doesn't have $20 million in the bank, we've seen Mariah Stokes angry. We've seen her desperate in season one. What's going to happen now when she finds out that everybody that could give her that 20 million or could uh, she could use to get that 20 million is off the table? What happens then? Where? How desperate does Mariah get? That's what's going to be fascinating about her arc for the next couple of episodes, I think. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of windows to be thrown out of in uh, Paradise, Harlem's Paradise. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. It's a new pane <laughs> of glass. Someone can get pushed. And I think with desperation, let's move on to bullet point five, Mm -hmm. our fifth and final point, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Uh, We have, yes, pure vengeance here. Luke Cage getting very desperate, very frustrated, uh, and all because of his father, Darth Vader. (laughs) Not Darth Vader, Darth Vader. Also known as a preacher, (laughs) Uh, also named as James Lucas, because, again, we have Luke's father reaching out um, in the cloud city of Bespin, uh, and, of course, sorry, no, he doesn't. He comes into Pops, and, you know, he, he's trying to reconcile himself. You know, he's a preacher. He's presumably, he wants to reconcile. He wants to ask for forgiveness. He's trying to do this with Luke. I think there is an element of taunting as well. Uh, and Luke really... Uh, doesn't want any of this and it's Claire who's kind of trying to force him to face up to maybe considering it and Mm. he's not liking that at all um you know as I said in the last episode he said if you can bring mum back from the dead then maybe I might forgive you I might consider uh bringing you back into my life so you know is claire on a hiding to nothing here is she um trying to go for some kind of pyrrhic victory where maybe um he does see his father but ultimately um their relationship gets strained beyond uh being functional again and that they 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 split up because ultimately you have that huge um huge argument between uh, Luke and Claire mm-hmm. um, in his apartment, uh, which sends him out onto the streets in a really bad mood um, and ultimately into the apartment where cockroaches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just want to mention just about that uh, that argument with James Lucas or that, that moment when James Lucas comes in. I must say I can kind of see Luke's point of view. It doesn't feel like James Lucas is ever asking for forgiveness from Luke. It feels like he's saying to him, I've forgiven you, Luke. Now can we just move on about it? And that's where I think Luke's getting his back up with this guy over and over again. It's like, but why not? I'm a preacher. I forgive you for everything you've done. Let's move on. It's like, apologize to me. Make up for all the years that you've ruined my life. Make up for all the years you didn't tell me about this half-brother that I had. This guy that came around and beat the crap out of me because he thought you were treating me really well when you were beating the crap out of me. Um, It feels like he's just is glossing over his past and just saying to Luke, forget about it. But I forgive you because I know you're a sinner, son, and kind of thing. So I kind of see Luke's argument. Anybody who's been, who has brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins can relate to this situation with Luke when you're having a standoff with somebody else. And because of 
previous history. Someone tries to get in the way of that and tries to make you reconcile. I'm surprised Luca didn't just walk out before that argument started with Claire. Claire has her own experience that she's gone through. She's lost her father. Her father died. And seeing somebody else who's pushed their father away, obviously, I totally understand why that gets her back up. But she's not very careful about treading on Luke's toes or giving him any space about it at all. Um, She's really kind of going, we're here, we're a family, and I also want to make friends with your father. I believe your father is a strong uh, a strong person. You can see that moment when she's in church at the end and hearing his sermon, which again is another sermon taken to criticize the way Luke lives his life. And you can see Claire listening to it and identifying with everything that she's saying, because that's kind of her opinion, but coming from a place of love, whereas his is coming from a place of non-acceptance and a place of control. But that's where it's coming from. I totally understand both points of view, but I'm surprised Luke didn't walk out. What he said to her in the argument was hugely harsh. We kind of get a bit of a recap of season one of, of, uh, of Luke Cage of Claire's arc, at least. We get a recap of what's happened with Luke, where he's gotten himself to. He feels that everybody's death is on his hands because he made the wrong choices in the past. But we hear that he thinks that Claire just hangs around with people of power. And that's her style. That's her way. And he criticizes it again. Um, That's kind of a tough point for Claire, isn't it? Yeah, it's massively harsh. And as well, he also basically tells her to butt out to you know why are you on at me about this yeah yeah it's massively harsh on claire who knows what's going to happen um not entirely sure whether they will live happily ever after who knows but certainly claire goes off to see the sermon by his dad where then as chris mentioned earlier we get this sermon about which wolf do you feed? Mm. Is it the one that is violent, is dark, and or is it the light one that is helpful and caring? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's not which one is stronger, but which one you feed. And at this moment in time, it's really intercut nicely with both um, the sermon, but also with the blues of Gary Clark Jr. in uh, Harlem's Paradise, Mm -hmm. um, as Luke is absolutely feeding the dark wolf here, um, the angry wolf, um, the wolf of the night, and to the detriment of his hero of Harlem street cred, as effectively you see, you know, the the mum and the son, who he is trying to help and protect, ultimately see this little kid seeing his hero losing it on um, his abusive stepdad um, in in the form of Cockroach. And, you know, they're kind of both taken aback because Cockroach looks like he could have been strangled to death. Um, I don't know whether he is or not, but ultimately... I think because of the end of the episode being there, he's probably not. No, no I, do, I don't think <laughs> but, he is. But, but it really did feel like yeah. that moment is... If he was to kill him, it, the only reason he didn't kill him was because the mother and child are in the room and he has that moment of realisation, what am I doing? Um, but he was very close. Definitely. Yeah, but this was one of my favourite scenes because I just think the combination of that blues music uh, with the um, the sermon by his dad, plus you see this frustration being let out by, by Luke to the detriment of who he thinks he is in mm-hmm. a sense. Um just fantastic kind of coming together of all these different elements. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say much more than echo 
kind of exactly the sentiments that you guys have given on this. Um, I will defend my choice to only side with Luke on this one. Um, in terms of Luke versus Claire, because Claire is using her own experience. She's causing, a, 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 to a degree, a problem, a frustration because of she lost her father and she mm-hmm. believes Luke should reconcile to get him to the next step, but he's not ready. We get that lovely scene where Claire's talking to Fish and he tells her about his relationship with his daughter. Mm-hmm. And we, it, it's great, but she kind of stepping like, into a realm where she doesn't have a right just not right I don't think I think I'm siding with Luke which is kind of like no if he doesn't want to reconcile with his father he shouldn't have to like Mm. that guy made his bed now he needs to lie in it that being said what Luke said I was like dude don't that that's your coffee maker there don't your coffee maker <laughs> then echoing what John said, just the selection of the editing on this scene was amazing. The mm-hmm. sermon with the music, with Luke not going full like feral Wolverine, like mm-hmm. but going close, very close. Like yeah. he he's flinging cockroach around, like slamming him across tables, picking him up and throwing him. Like I was like, oh my god, this is nearly Luke Cage, Power Man Unchained. Yeah, and then seeing. The, the close-up of the child and then Luke's face and then the child and then Luke's face. Not There was no tears and there was no anger or awe or it was, it, 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 that child actor. I was like, well done. Like He, he has this mix of shame, confusion, fear, fright, fright yeah. just everything. And I was like, yeah. that's what you want. Like Luke Cage is the hero of Harlem. He yeah. is the hero to all these people. If the hero goes around potentially nearly killing your abusive stepdad, get in front of you. In front of you, I should say. Because that's kind of like, <laughs> wow. Um, Although I'm sure some of that fear was because he had just destroyed her bookshelf and her lamps and her coffee tables mm-hmm. as he's chucking cockroach around. Uh, there was that one moment where it was a bit like when Misty Knight dropped the uh, the shopping bag and never went back for it, where it was like, okay, he's just destroyed this poor woman's living room. Um, no wonder she's looking startled, going, dude, what are you doing? Take yeah. him out, chuck him out the window. <laughs> I, I know it's an it's, open window. <laughs> it is one of those weird things, isn't it? When you think of comic books, this is exactly what you're when you're reading comic books as a kid. If you're going through bad times, you're kind of going, I wish Superman could come in and save me. I wish Spider-Man could come in and save me. That's the kind of thing. But what these shows deal in is if Luke Cage is going to come and save you from your abusive stepdad, he's going to beat the crap out of him in your apartment while you're watching. Yeah. Do you really want that to happen? You know, it's kind of dealing with yeah, just an exactly. extra added bit of realism to these kind of these kind of moments. But it is a beautiful scene. There's some great moments in in this in this in this scene. Definitely, uh, as I said, I love Claire's reaction to the sermon. I think you can just absolutely see on her face that she's going. This is what I'm talking about. Why wouldn't Luke be able to understand this? You're his dad, and you can understand this whole idea. Um, I, I just think it's really, really well played. And that's going to cause immense issues in the episodes to come. I yeah. really do think so. But gentlemen, um, I think we've covered all of our bullet points to mm-hmm. date. Absolutely. Um, any notes from yourself? 
just the two notes we mentioned about Ben Donovan. He was the lawyer in Luke Cage season one who got uh, who got Cottonmouth off uh, his charge. So he's been back in there. He defended uh, Kingpin in season two of Daredevil as well. So we have seen him uh, a few times in the in these shows. Uh, great to just keep that character going. It's really cool. John, you already mentioned Gary Clark Jr. Uh, who's playing uh, two of the songs "If Trouble Was Money," which is fantastic. That's oh, my really that's my number one song so far. I've listened to it a bunch of times since I saw this episode. And "Bright Lights," which was uh, the the song that closed out the episode. Really, really good. One other thing, you may have recognized uh, James Lucas's sermon about the wolf. Uh, that is a very, very well-known story, but used quite recently in two things. One in Tomorrowland, the George Clooney movie that was out a couple of years ago. The exact uh, sermon was used, or the exact speech was used, uh, the story from uh, the Native Americans. Uh, it was also used last season on uh, Star Trek Discovery, John, an episode called The Wolf You Feed uh, on Star Trek Discovery. So that's where I'd heard it. Because I was looking up at the names of the episodes during Star Trek Discovery last year, and that's where I—that's where I heard. It. I was going, "Where is he getting this from? Did he watch Star Trek?" Yeah, there you go, he did. And now we know that even <laughs> in the Netflix universe, there is a Netflix where there's a Star Trek Discovery. Exactly. Proof: It's one big universe in a yes. universe in a universe in a universe. <laughs> Exclusive worldwide, except in America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. But with that, Chris, do you defend Luke Cage episode two? Straighten it out. I do. From a strong opening episode that we got, this is a strong continuation. It slows the pace down to a degree, but it, we get a bit more character exposition. We get character growth, as I said about Misty. It's a strong episode two. If episode one was going 100 miles an hour, this is slightly off the gas and we're cruising at a good 70. Like, just so that we can take in the scenery a bit more. I mm-hmm. think that's the best kind of analogy i can give in that nobody drives 100 miles an hour all the time chris if you're on the autobahn you do <laughs> you have to get off the autobahn occasionally though. yeah that's where you slow down to 70 <laughs> <laughs> i did really enjoy this i look if they keep up this pace speed it up on some episodes slow it down slightly in others and still give us enough points that you're like okay i want to know more i want to know more like you're giving me just enough i'll be happy this is this is a good opening two episodes that, again, I felt like I wanted to binge into episode three because I'm, oh, my God, did Luke do that? Oh, my mm-hmm. God, is that child? What is Claire going to do? What's going to what Shade's going to do? What's Misty going to do? Like you have these. Qu- Will Nike come calling properly? Will they <laughs> present the check? All things like that. Like, OK, I'm interested. I, I want to follow on. So, yes, I do defend this episode, and I'm interested to see where it goes. Excellent. Derek, since you just said excellent, I'm going to pick on you. Um, <laughs> do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, season two, episode two, straightening it out? Definitely, yeah. Still a couple of little things they're getting um, that they're doing in this episode to tie it back to uh, the first season of Luke Cage and Defenders just to make sure that it's all fresh in your head. It's been almost two years since Luke Cage. Uh, a lot of people didn't watch the Defenders who are Luke Cage fans, so still tying up some of those bits. Really important to do that. Lots of great character moments in this episode, which is what I loved about season one of uh, of Luke Cage. Um, lots of great moments with all of these characters. Some really exciting things seeing what's going to happen in the future of the show so uh, this is absolutely a builder as it should be we won't be getting uh, a proper knockdown drag out fight until probably episode five so so i'm expecting these first couple of episodes are setting up the story for the season exactly where i want it to be and if they keep going this way i'll be very happy to watch 
lots and lots more. So I do defend this episode of Luke Cage. John, do you defend episode two of Luke Cage straight in out? I really do defend this episode of, of Luke Cage. Um, of course, in Harlem's Kitchen, um, I give this a special blend of four and a half herbs and spices out of five. Nice. Uh, yes. I, I really like this. I could eat this up all day. I, I really like the emphasis here on, on the family, uh, whether it was real family, whether it was acquired family, such as Misty with the police force. Um, I love the fact that it was about bust-ups of family, reunions, the strain on family uh, in terms of relationships, in terms of family estrangement and so on. Uh, I love the intrigue around Bushmaster. I like that we've got a little few more clues into um, his powers and what he needs to do. I love that it brought in this mystical uh, kind of element, this idea of using potions and powders and so on. Thought that was really good. Um, I loved how, um, you know, Shades and Mariah, that seemed a little brittle uh, towards the end of it. And I, I think for me, seeing Luke Cage have a very different turn on his show as well as the defenders were, he is absolutely losing it. Um, he's being at, mean to, to Claire, and then he's going AWOL on Cockroach. However much he might deserve that, you know, that is not what Luke Cage wants to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm thinking back to his speech in the um, lobby of Midland Circle, where he's saying, no, it's not right to kill these people and to blow. You know, he has a particular moral code, and uh, it seems to have uh, briefly left him, whether it's because he's consumed by himself and his own brand, as we talked about, or whether it's just that, you know, all these things of hitting that, that body of water and nothing really changing it's frustrating him and i just thought the way that it was written the way that it was all brought together through music through his father's sermon uh, through his own actions i thought that was a really amazing um finale to it and, and so for me i absolutely defend this episode i thought it was really really strong um, and and so so good Excellent. Thanks so much for that, guys. Really looking forward to hearing the feedback from the fellow defenders as the episodes get released on Friday the 22nd of June. Um, you'll now be, obviously, two episodes in, possibly more. If you want to send in your thoughts to us about the future episodes, email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Pop over to our website at defenderstvpodcast.com and record your thoughts, up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. Record them there. We'll play them on the podcast and discuss them in our feedback section. Um, it's really exciting knowing that, uh, that, that everybody will be watching these episodes in a couple of days' time, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, absolutely. I can't wait to hear the thoughts of everyone uh, following uh, Luke Cage on Marvel Netflix. And of course, just the Marvel Netflix and of course, the Defenders community. Please uh, come on over to Facebook to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Join in, in the discussions, the comments, the thoughts. Uh, and of course, we will share them uh, in our feedback section on the podcast. Uh, and of course, 
please, uh, if you are into podcasts uh, in any way, you can head on over for 30 days of Stitcher Premium. Uh, just use Defenders as the promo code and you can get 30 days free of Stitcher Premium up until September. And of course, included in that is Marvel's scripted podcast, Wolverine the Long Night. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We'll be back with our review of Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 3, Wig Out. This coming Tuesday, as we move to our usual schedule of Tuesday and Fridays each week from now on. So we hope you'll join us then. But for now, lads, I think we go straighten it out and get on to Episode 3. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And of course, if we didn't mention it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, when you go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com to get all of our episodes as they come out on Tuesday and Friday from now on. Or follow us on social and we post it there so you'll never miss it. Hell, just do both. Go on. You know you want to. Go <laughs> Always to, subscribe. Go find us everywhere. We'll, we'll tell you everything. You'll, you'll, you'll see multiple posts, but you know what? You'll never miss our dulcet tones coming into your ear holes. And absolutely, as it's a family episode, remember, share us with your family as well. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm off to go and smash up the, the front living room. <laughs> At least it's going to be your front living, not somebody else's. Exactly. <laughs> Bye. 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 B